Hello, I'm Carrie. And I'm Emily. And we are the voices of Tarbis. And what is Tarbis, we hear you cry? Well, Tarbis is a blog that we set up about a year ago. Yep. To blog about historical places that we'd been to, um, giving them ratings and advising people to go there, really. And uh, to um, eat, because Tarbis stands for Time and Relative Blogging, Including Sandwiches. Indeed. So um, we decided that we would expand a little bit on that and bring you some facts and figures about places, people, events, dynasties, things like that throughout the past as a podcast. Yeah, and because we, we wanted to use different forms of media to geek out over history because it's what we like to do best. It is indeed, and we hope you enjoy listening to it. And uh, if you want to get in touch, give us a review, suggest some things or people that you'd like us to talk about. Here's how you can do it. On Twitter and Facebook, and Instagram, and WordPress. I'm saying them all because we all have one name. We are at Tarbis in capitals, history. Indeed, and we would love to hear from you. So, without further ado, here's Tarbis After After Hours. I am very excited about this week's Tarbis After Hours. We haven't spoken about my number one historical bay since the very first episode. I've been patient. You have. You've been very good. But tonight, ladies and gentlemen, I get to talk about him, Henry VIII. Now, we aren't going to do a complete all about Henry VIII episode because we're saving that one for a later date. But I have chosen a a specific event from his reign, one that I believe shows him at his finest majesty. It has everything. It has murder. It has some local aspects for us. Um, It has uprisings, trickery and a brutal ending for one. I'm talking the Pilgrimage of Grace. So what happened to make it so renowned? Well, the Pilgrimage of Grace started in late 1536 and technically finished in early 1537. Luckily for us, there's a lot known about the revolt as it was well documented at the time, which is always helpful. Very. Um, A bit of a backstory here. At this moment in time, our good pal Hal (laughs) had uh, married Anne Boleyn, separated England from the Roman Catholic Church and made the country Protestant. Not many people were happy with this arrangement, thus leading to a lot of uprisings. Um, also, Anne was beheaded on May in May, sorry, 1536, so five months before the Pilgrimage of Grace would have taken place. wonder if Henry ever thought it was worth it. Probably not. This was Henry VIII after all. And she did fail to give him a son, which was like her one purpose. The reason he did all of this. He had one job, Anne. One job. <laughs> anyway... Between the late between late 1536-1537, a number of revolts against the king took place in northern England. Collectively, these were known as the Pilgrimage of Grace, hence why I said technically earlier. I, I don't know what's going on with my words today. You're doing a me, you're doing a me. Um, however, strictly speaking, the timing of the Pilgrimage of Grace that historians collectively talk about, and what we'll be focusing on tonight, only refers to the revolt that occurred in Yorkshire between October and December 1536. This uprising, as we said, began in Yorkshire in 1536 and almost immediately followed this suppression. Seriously? Almost immediately followed the suppression of the short-lived Lincolnshire uprising. It soon spread to other parts of northern England, including Cumberland, Northumberland, all the lands, and North Lancashire, (coughs) under the leadership of Robert Ask. More on him later. It's known as the most serious of all Tudor rebellions and was a protest against the break from Henry from Henry VIII and the Roman Catholic Church, um, the dissolution of the monasteries and the policies of the King's chief minister, Thomas Cromwell. Ooh. See, like him better than Oliver Cromwell. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the fight of the Cromwells. Yeah. 
as well as other specific political, social and economic grievances, all of which we will go on into at a later date, we promise. Um, much like the Lincolnshire Uprising, commoners, in inverted commas, made up the bulk of the numbers of this rebellion, while nobles were also in its ranks. However, one major difference between this and the other uprisings was that the Yorkshire rebels were led by Robert Ask. Remember him? Mm-hmm. Robert Ask was a barrister from London. He was a resident of the Inns of Court and the youngest son of Sir Robert Ask of Orton, near Shelby. Um, his family were from Ask Hall in Richmondshire and had long been in Yorkshire. So he was a man who had some standing in society, like the established family name. Yeah, and people would, would listen to him. They, he, they, the family were respected. Um, he became the accepted leader of the Yorkshire rebels. He was a skilled public speaker and very competent organiser. Which is what you want from a barrister. Yeah, um, but also he wanted the rebellion to maintain the highest of standards so that nobody could call the men that he was leading a rabble. Okay. Um, because he didn't want to fight in a way any more nobles from joining the rebellion. So I just like that, a rabble of rebels. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, it was actually Ask who coined the phrase the pilgrimage of grace um, to describe their actions. This term is thought it was chosen deliberately. Um, pilgrims come from the word pilgrimage, and this was the holy slant that um, Ask wanted to put on this rebellion. Mm-hmm. Um, he wanted Henry to stop his attacks on the church and the monasteries and return the country to following the Pope. Ask believed that Henry himself was not at fault, as he was thought to be a decent and well-meaning king. Um, Ask lay the the, uh, the blame on his evil advisers, especially Thomas Cromwell, um, who he believed were polluting the king's mind. Um, Ask believed that once Henry saw the rebellion for what it was, a spiritual pilgrimage, he would start to re- uh, revert to these old policies and remove from power those who had misled him. <laughs> However, to reinforce that the rebels had the means to gain what they wanted, the pilgrims had a well-organised armed force at their disposal. Disposal? Disposal. It's captured. Yeah. Uh, mixed messages there, old Robbie. I think that might have been where he went wrong. I'm um, not entirely sure that's where he went wrong. Naivety had a bit of a play in it, but we shall come on to that. Yes. So, Ask decided that anyone who took part in the rebellion had to take an oath regarding their behaviour and overall demeanour. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. He was pretty serious about the whole not looking like a rabble thing. Yeah. For those who took this oath, it was binding, and any failure to maintain it would lead to eternal damnation. It's pretty serious. Yeah. Which, um, if you're a staunch Catholic, that's like the worst thing ever. Yeah, eternal damnation. It sounds yeah. in hellfire and punishment and rar. Yeah, that's that's my Catholic upbringing. Fabulous. Right yeah, rar. Um, the support for Ask was widespread in Yorkshire. Men also joined from Durham, Northumberland, and some from Lancashire. Yeah, that's one way to unite York and Lancashire, I suppose. Yeah. Um, with few exceptions, most of the rebels behaved very well. You, you would always get one or two. Yeah. Um, they gathered at York and then at Pontefract. There was a royal castle at Pontefract which garrisoned 300 royal troops. Um, it fell without a single shot being fired. In fact, the castle... Um, was in a poor state of repair, and it was very likely it couldn't have even held out for a day, let alone any more time. So if they'd have actually laid a siege, it wouldn't have taken long. Um, Henry suspected the castle's leader, Lord Thomas Danby, of being sympathetic to the rebels, and that the 300 men in the garrison likewise were far from loyal. But the fact that it was a royal castle gave the rebels in Yorkshire a major boost in terms of confidence. Pontefract Castle surrendered on October the 21st. At this stage, the so-called pilgrims numbered 35,000 men. They were well-armed and well-equipped. At this point, the local aspect creeps in. Henry ordered the Duke of Norfolk, 
Hey, yeah, there's the local. Back. There's the local aspect for us there. And the Earl of Shrewsbury North to confront the rebels. Um, however, both men could only raise about 8,000 men, so they would have been heavily outnumbered by Ask and the pilgrims in battle. The one advantage they had was the fact that Ask did not want conflict. He still wanted a negotiated settlement, and as a result, Norfolk met Ask at Doncaster Bridge on October 27th. Norfolk came across as a sympathiser of the rebel demands, and he persuaded them to disband while a, re- a deputation of them would be escorted to London by Norfolk himself. What they may not have known was that Norfolk was a political rival of Thomas Cromwell and used whatever opportunity he had to undermine Cromwell's position. And the rebels were giving Norfolk a perfect opportunity to continue this campaign against Cromwell. Yeah, and as you said, the demands were presented to Norfolk at Doncaster on December on December of the 6th. Mm-hmm. So they met on October the, the um, 27th, mm-hmm. but then on December the 6th, the demands were given. Okay. And it was agreed that if the rebels disbanded... Norfolk would give the king the demands. Mm-hmm. He, there would be a freely elected parliament that would discuss these demands, and all pilgrims would be pardoned for their part in the rebellion. So, if you heard our papers, we do have new microphones, and a lot is being picked <laughs> up at the moment, including putting our cups of tea down, apparently, and our Twix cookies, which are quite nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, the group of rebels didn't include any major leaders. Okay. So, Ask remained in Yorkshire to ensure that the rebel organisation maintained itself if the king had failed to deliver. So, he wasn't going to go with Norfolk to the king. Mm-hmm. However, Henry, my bae, was a very clever politician. Uh, more on that in a bit. But he received the rebel demands, all 24 of them. And you actually have a copy of the 24 here. We do. So I thought we would have a read-through, all 24, mm-hmm. and have a bit of a discussion as to whether... Do you think that that specific demand was appropriate, or do you think they were trying to push their luck a little bit? Okay. Um, demand one, the first touching our faith. To have the heresies of Luther, Wycliffe, Husser, Mallington, Elecampardus, Bucerus, Confessor Germany, Apollusia, Malactons, the works of Tyndall, of Barnes, of Marshall, Rascal, Saint, Saint-Germain, and other heresies of anti-Baptist destroyed. Well now done. I know why you gave me that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so they, they wanted that destroyed. I mean, so that one, everything except the Roman Catholic Bible, really. Yeah, that, that one wasn't too... From their stance as Roman Catholics wanting to protect the faith, I kind of... I get that one. Yeah. I understand that one. Yeah. Um, that makes sense. Probably a bit too much because, you know, you had the whole idea of religious tolerance. Sorry, I'm aware my chair is very, very creaky, so I'm just going to stand up instead. <laughs> was waiting for the noise. <laughs> trying to move it Fabulous. Quite but, um, no, I, I don't think that was too too demanding. No, that one would kind of, you would expect that. You'd expect it the other way around. Protestants would expect the Catholic, to, yeah. uh, their text to be destroyed. So that one makes sense. Mm. Okay. Number two. The, supreme, the supremacy of the church touching cura animarium to be reserved to the see of Rome as before. The consecrations of the bishops to be from him, without any first fruits or pension to be paid to him, or else a reasonable pension for the outward defence of the faith. Again, that doesn't doesn't make. It's not too demanding. No, I mean animera from from the Latin animus meaning the soul. So again, it's touching their faith, going on about protection of the soul. Yeah, so nothing bad there, really. No. That Lady Mary be made legitimate 
and the former statute therein annulled for the danger of the title that might incur to the Crown of Scotland that to be by Parliament. Lady Mary meaning Mary the First. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at that point, because of the, the marriage to Anne Boleyn um, and the whole argument about Catherine of Aragon consummating the marriage with Arthur originally, um, it was declared that Mary was illegitimate, she was a bastard yeah. and couldn't be a princess, therefore she was Lady Mary instead of Princess Mary. Um, so they, they wanted her to be made legitimate again, so they're basically saying that the marriage to Catherine was was legitimate. Um, they want her in the succession again, and the statute saying that she she wasn't a princess be annulled, so got rid of, got rid of. Yeah, which again they're gonna have they're gonna want to have another Catholic queen to be after Henry. Yeah. So and it meant um, a legitimate claim to the throne of Scotland as well, which was a point of contention a little bit later on in the Tudor dynasty. Somewhat, somewhat, yes. Number four, uh, the suppressed abbeys to be restored to their houses, lands, and goods. Again, not necessarily unreasonable. I mean, not unreasonable, but to know an extent. It, yeah, but, but know your audience. Yeah. You're asking Henry VIII to give money, goods, and houses back to people. Mm. Like, I think that one, it, it's not unreasonable, but it's definitely unrealistic. Like, that yeah. one was a bit... Yeah, I don't think that was ever going to happen. It's pushing their luck a little bit because the whole point of the dissolution of the monasteries was that the monasteries had gained too much money and they were corrupt, which they were, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. Um, so maybe have the abbeys restored, yes, <coughs> but not necessarily all of their goods and have them be monitored. Yeah. Um, to have the tenths and first fruits clearly discharged of the same, unless the clergy will grant a rent charge in generality to the augmentation of the crown. So basically, have it have things given back, but then charge them rent to the crown. Which means the king's still giving, getting money. Yeah. Which again, does that not make the previous one redundant? Not necessarily, because at that point you're still restoring the abbeys, so the previous one is kept to. But maybe not all of their goods are then restored. Yeah. To have the friars' observance restored to their houses. To basically take the monks back. Yeah. Not really unreasonable. It's, it's their way of life, it's their belief, it's their faith. Yeah. Send them back. But because the whole pilgrimage race came about because of the dissolution of the monasteries, is there anywhere to put them? No. Exactly. <laughs> they were either now houses, ruins, or smouldering piles of ash. Mm-hmm. Um, to have the heretics, bishops and temporal, and their sect, to have condign punishment by fire or such other, or else to try the quarrel with us and our part to take us in battle. This is where it starts mm. to get a little bit... Yeah. A little bit, like... You should have just stopped at six, mate. At this point, it's not peaceful anymore. At this point, they're, they're answering violence with violence. Uh-huh. And they just want... This is a whole eye for an eye thing. Um, they're saying that... Heretics, bishops, and temporal, and their sect. So everybody that they think is responsible for the Protestant religion, burn them. I mean, bear in mind the fact at this point the king is Protestant and the head of the church. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <clears throat> um, Lord Cromwell, the Lord Chancellor, and Sir Rick Ritchie to have condign punishment as subverters of the good laws of the realm and maintainers and inventors of heretics. So basically, wanting them to die, be killed. Again. Maybe, I, I, I get where they're coming from, because Cromwell and Richard Rich were... Sorry. That's right. <laughs> Cromwell and Sir Richard Rich were um, like the main leaders mm-hmm. of Lutheranism in England that led to Protestantism. But they are 
people of lesser birth asking for the deposition of death of lords. That is not a precedent that Henry wants to set. No, not one that he would follow. Especially at this time he trusted in Thomas Cromwell. So asking for you to kill Thomas Cromwell is like saying, kill you, like kill my best friend. Yeah, and if if it starts with the lords, where does it stop? Can you kill a king? Mm. Another Cromwell, isn't it? (laughs) Awkward. That the lands in Westmoreland, Cumberland, Kendal, Dent, Sedbert, Fawns and the Abbey lands in Mashamshire... Kirkbyshire, Notherdale, may be by tenant right and the Lord to have at every change two years' rent for Gresham, one according to the grant now made by the Lords to the Commons there, this to be done by an Act of Parliament. So they want the lands returned to them and tenanted, and that they have they have rent every every couple of years, and they want that actually as an mm. Act of Parliament, so they want that guaranteed. Yeah, but at this point there's been so many uprisings, does Henry want to give going to want to give the lands back even if he was to give back to the roman catholic faith mm. would he want to give the lands back to people who led uprising against him but by the same token if he give if he gives the lands back yeah he may be seen as rewarding the uprising but he could be seen as giving them a concession to uh, to help mm. stop future uprisings the statutes of handguns and crossbows to be repealed except in the king's forest or parks Basically, their their version of the Fifth Amendment. Mm-hmm. Is it the Fifth Amendment? No, yeah, the American. The you mean the the Second Amendment, isn't it? Mm. The right to bear arms. Yeah, the Fifth is silence, isn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, it's yeah. They they want to be armed because you know. But then again, he's arming rebels at that point potentially. Yeah. So. Mm. Yeah. The Doctor Lai and Doctor Layton have condigned punishment for their extortions from religious houses and other abominable acts. They're the ones that were um, like they were the main instigators in the dissolution of the yeah. they took things away so that they would be put to death for that yep mm. not not unexpected yeah but then again it's the same as with Cromwell and Rich like yeah. when does it stop yeah um, the, the reformation of the election of Knights of the Shire and Burgress and for the use among the Lords in Parliament after, Parliament House after their ancient customs so reinstating like the the rule of the north, reinstating um, northern parliament and knights and things that have been stripped away. King of the north, essentially, yeah, <laughs> more or less. Um, it's their tradition, it's their custom. It's gone going back to ancient times when you had the aldermen and everything during Saxon England. Not unexpected, not unreasonable, but he would then be returning an almost autonomous power to the north. Yeah. Um, the statute for enclosures and intacts to be put in execution, and all enclosures and intacts since since four Henry the seventh, Henry six, sorry, no seventh. I can't read. I can't read. I can't <laughs> read Roman numerals. Yes, it's Henry. You really are having a bad day today, um, Carrie. It's swapped over. It's swapped. <laughs> to be pulled down except mountains, forests, and parks. Now Henry the seventh kind of he heavily taxed the land. Mm. He took a lot of free land from people. Um, towards the crown he was very very miserly so they're obviously some of that back and just for full disclosure Henry VII is Henry VIII's dad yes and killer of Richard III my bae but we won't go there hmm um to be discharged of the quincean and taxed now granted by act of parliament remove taxes I mean it's not gonna happen you need money there's war it's the middle ages I mean yeah but that, that kind of thing started the American Revolution, so, you know, taxes has always been a problem. Yeah, so that one's just easy. Pfft, stupid. To have a parliament at Nottingham or York, and that shortly. 
So they wanted their own parliament in the north, which they used to have under the days of Richard III. He actually sat in the parliament. He said, I think he was one of the main instigators of the yeah, parliament. Yeah, that's because in the north. he was the son of York. Yeah, exactly. So, so it was something that was then dissolved because they didn't want the north having too much power because the north was still staunchly, like, mm. mostly Yorkist. And I guess, and I guess because the York, the, the York, the North is close to Scotland, and there was lots mm. of issues with Scotland, yeah. so they needed to keep that under control. Yeah, to stop like the border raids and everything. Mm-hmm. The statute of the Declaration of the Crown be will to be repeated. Yeah, it's like the de- the Declaration of the Crown. Um, yeah, the, the, a lot of the laws that were being put in place, they wanted to be repealed. Mm-hmm. So it sort of makes sense, but at the same time, is it really going to happen? Yeah. Because it's not in it's not in the crown's interest. Nope. Pardon by Act of Parliament for all recognisances, statutes, and penalties now forf- new forfeited during the time of this commotion. So basically, everything that's happened before, everyone just gets a pardon afterwards. Yeah. It's like a free pass. Yeah, Henry VIII is going to do that. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> sure. The privileges and rights of the church to be confirmed by Act of Parliament. Priests not to suffer by sword unless degraded. A man to be saved by his book, sanctuary to save a man for all causes in extreme need and the church for 40 days, and further according to the laws as they were used at the beginning of, the, of this king's days. So they're wanting that priests are, cannot be murdered. Unless given, unless they give just cause. Yes, or, they're then, or they have their priesthood taken away first, and, mm-hmm. then, and they want sanctuary back. Yeah. Because sanctuary had been repealed. I mean, sanctuary had been broken a couple of times, but had been repealed at that point because yeah. they didn't want people hiding in churches. No. Um, the liberties of the church to have their old customs as the country palatine at Durham, Beverley, Ripon, St. Peter of York, and other such by Act of Parliament. Again, it's the whole thing of restoring traditions. Mm-hmm. Um, to have the statute that no man shall not will his lands repealed. Yeah. Um, the statutes of treasons for words and such like made... Since 21, Henry VIII to be repealed. So basically anything that Henry VIII has made, yeah. any law that he's made, they want it repealed. More or less, yeah. Which in relation to the This church. is where they, I think they're now getting a little bit cocky. Yeah. Like, you're asking the king to basically go back on everything he said. What sort of weak king would he have been if he'd suggest? Mm-hmm. And not just him, his father as well. Yeah. Just nah, mate. No. Um, this is where I started then getting annoyed at Robert Ask because he's just asking for mm. stuff that was just not going to work um that the common laws may have place as was used in the beginning of the reign and that no injunctions be granted unless the matter has been determined in chancery yeah um that men north of trent summoned on subpoena appear at york or by attorney unless it be directed on pain of allegiance or for like matters concerning the king fair fair enough that people Mm -hmm. in the north be tried in the north Yep, um, and this one, which I think may have been the slight tipping point, mm. a remedy against royal officers for finding false offices and extorting fees. So he wants royal officers to be punished. Yeah, again, where does it stop? Like Exactly. Is even the king safe? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a pretty extensive list. I-, I wonder if they would have had more luck if they hadn't had quite so many. I think they possibly... Henry might not have it wouldn't have been as laughable. Yeah. Like, you can just kind of imagine Norfolk going back to Henry with this list of 24 demands and him going, ha, 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 really? It's like, how, mate, I've got these, just just you wait till you read them. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, get some wine. This is going to take a while. So get a load of this. Right. <laughs> but Henry, being the brilliant man that oh, he is, um, he failed to reply to them for several weeks. 
So, um, and in this time, he hoped that the rebel organisation would start to show weakness. So yeah. he, he had took the demands, Norfolk had done what he said, yeah. Henry had them, kept hold of them for a while. It's like a stalling tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be a tall order for us to keep all 3,500 men organised. 35,000 men. 35,000, sorry. My bad. All 35,000 men organised. I've got numerical dyslexia, don't be mean to me. <laughs> I have life dyslexia. This is true. <laughs> Henry bought more time by asking the pilgrim envoys to clarify certain points that he failed to fully understand. He suggested that the leaders should meet up to construct a clearly written and detailed set of demands. At the same time, Norfolk was ordered to end the rebellion in whatever way he thought necessary. Norfolk promised a general pardon and a parliament to be held at York within a year, as well as a reprieve for the abbeys until the parliament had met. Ask had no reason not to believe him, and though he was speaking for the king, naively trusted the king's promises. Um, As dismissed his followers, something he would later live to regret, or maybe live being the operative word there. Yeah, Um, Ask and uh, 300 other rebel leaders at Doncaster believed that they had won a great victory. Um, Ask travelled to London at the King's request to meet Henry, who had asked to be briefed about the feelings of the people so that any future problems could be avoided. Um, so he basically was wanting to, here, come have a chat, tell me what I need to do to make this better. Yeah. And Ask believed him Um, he saw this as a sign that the king was a decent person and that it was advisors who were failing this country in fact henry was simply buying time because he was a freaking genius i mean to be fair it is it is quite clever because he's saying oh i need you to come here i need you to clarify these things because i don't quite understand basically Mm -hmm. saying i'm reading them i don't quite get them i want your opinion you to advise me but at this point As Ask was travelling down to London, Henry had already determined that the North needed to be taught a military lesson. Mm -hmm. Um, However, he wanted from Ask as many names as was possible so that individuals could be brought to account, which in Tudor times meant the chop. So, yes, we'll roll. Yes, so he's being very clever at this point. Um, In late January 1537, Ask returned to Yorkshire, uh, where he became a vocal supporter of Henry. Okay. Others were suspicious that the promised pardon had yet to arrive. At the same time, it had become apparent to Norfolk that Henry would judge him by the way he had put down the rebellion. Norfolk had feared that Henry had believed that he was sympathetic to the rebel demands, and now he needed to show, above all else, his loyalty to the king. Norfolk used the rebellion in Cumberland in in February 1537 as the reason for his campaign, even though the pilgrims had condemned what had happened in Cumberland. So he basically said it was a reaction to that, even though they said, whoa, whoa, not us. Mm -hmm. Um, By now the pilgrimids were... Pilgrimids? What are pilgrimids, Carrie? (laughs) It's a new word I've just made up. I'm going to get it I'm very sorry, that would be very loud. (laughs) (laughs) By now the pilgrims were in disarray while the army of Norfolk was poised to strike when it chose to do so. With no chance of successfully fighting Norfolk's army, the leaders of the pilgrimage grace agreed to Henry's order that they should come to London to answer questions. He travelled to London, met Henry VIII, he being Robert Ask, and received promises of redress and safe passage. As Ask began his journey back to the north thinking he'd won, fighting broke out again. This renewed fighting allowed Henry to change his mind, and he had Robert Ask seized and brought to the Tower of London. By early May, 15 of the main leaders were under arrest despite the promise of a pardon. Two juries were established in Yorkshire to decide whether the men should stand trial in London. The juries were made up of the friends of those arrested. This process was known as indictment. 
It was a heartless procedure, as those who best knew the likes of Ask and Danby were now asked to essentially sign their death warrants, as no trial in London would spare them. All the accused, unsurprisingly, were found guilty of treason. Most were executed in London. Robert Ask was convicted of high treason in Westminster and was taken back to York, where he was hanged in chains on the 12th of July 1537 on a special scaffolding erected outside Clifford's Tower, which was meant to be a gesture of how much in control of the event Henry was. Which he totally was. Henry was outnumbered and could have easily been defeated, but he used his amazing brain and diplomacy and managed to quash the rebellion and kill the leader at one of his main bases. Mm -hmm. Brutal. He fully made an example of him. He did. And um, so how much of a threat was the pilgrimage of grace to Henry? Um, The king tried to play it off as a minor rebellion in one of the more outlaying areas of the kingdom. Few, if anyone, in the royal court would have dared to contradict him, especially if Henry had, especially as he had crushed the rebellion. Uh, however, many historians now considered the rebellion to have been the greatest internal threat that Henry had to face in his entire reign. Um, they base it is, isn't it? Big deal. Uh, they base their judgment on the basis that it would have been very difficult for Henry to have gathered together an army that was big enough to fight against the 35,000 men in the rebellion. 35,000, yes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) There is also no evidence that Henry had anyone capable of handling such a military force, even if he had been able to raise that many men. Um, It's also accepted that anger was not just um, preserved in the north. If the rebels had marched south, it is almost certain that others would have joined them. Therefore, as the rebels marched south, their numbers may well have grown greatly. Um, There was also a real fear that foreign nations would use the disruption that the rebels would have caused to attack England in the south. With Henry's army engaged against the rebels, there would have been little to stop landing on the uh, Kent or Sussex coast. And if the Pope had denounced um, Henry and urged all Catholics to assist the rebels, Henry's position would have been even weaker. Yeah, I mean, if you think our relationship with France at this point was still pretty damn tenuous, and then Henry was now, he was against um, Catholicism, France was Catholic, they would, and then you had the whole problem with Catherine of Aragon and her nephew, um, Prince Carlos of Spain, yep. it would have been all of them in defence of the Catholic faith against England. Yeah. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's all a little bit... A little bit tricky. Um, None of the above did happen, however, because the rebels accepted the peace plan put forward by the king. Um, Credit also needs to be given to Henry for the way he handled the representatives of the rebels whilst they were in London. His delaying tactics worked. Ironically, from a position of great potential weakness, Henry emerged from the Pilgrimage of Grace in a stronger position. Um, He'd made an example of them. He told people that you go against me, this is what we do. The rebels were defeated. Anyone else thinking about getting involved in something similar would have known now about the consequences. The defeat of the rebels simply showed the populace who held the real power, and it's no coincidence that the major impact of the Reformation against the monasteries occurred after the Pilgrimage of Grace in 1538. It's almost as if victory against Ask and his followers then spurred Henry um, to push against his changes, um, push through, sorry, with his changes, which is what he did. While the rebel army was in existence, they presented Henry with a major problem. The defeat of that same army gave him the freedom to move ahead with what he wanted to achieve. Um, Historians have written about what might have happened with regards to the Pilgrimage of Grace. I mean, it's always good to see it from a a potential other side. Hindsight, which is what we, which is, as historians, we can have. Yeah, hindsight is the domain of the historian. Even though I'm not entirely sure some 
political leaders have used history to form their futures. It's the domain of the historian and the lessons are there to be ignored by politicians. Isn't it just? Essentially. Um, not that we're bitter about the current break from Europe that's going on. No. No. Not bitter about it happening, bitter about how it's being handled. Let's yes. just put that out there. Yeah, definitely. Um, it wanted... They wanted Henry, the pilgrimage, wanted Henry to change his religious policies for a start. And he he didn't do that. He wasn't going to do that because he had said that this was what was going to happen. And he couldn't be seen to go back on his decisions. Ironically, his victory over the rebels gave him the freedom to implement those changes regardless. So it did absolutely nothing except make Henry look like a badass. Basically, yeah. It, it just... It removed that log that was in the way of the snowball that was already forming. Mm-hmm. And then it just went downhill from there. And the reason I love it so much is the fact that um, Henry didn't actually use military. There wasn't really any battles. There, was that, there wasn't that much bloodshed during it. Obviously, there was quite a lot of bloodshed at the end. Yeah. Um, but he used diplomacy and he used tactics. He used his brain to quash this rebellion. That's the thing about And Henry. he did it. He was very, very, very eloquent, very mm-hmm. intelligent, and I think a lot of the time that swept under the carpet because of his like his brutishness, his temper tantrums, his battles, his reactions, his and wives. His wives. Yeah. <laughs> but he was an incredibly intelligent young man as yeah. well as physically fit. So. Definitely. So that's uh, why I think that the pilgrimage of race shows Henry at his best. Agreed. Agreed. Um, so. That's it. That's that's, it. that's the Pilgrimage of Grace and poor old... Um, have you seen, is it in... Um, I'm not sure if it's the Tudors, mm-hmm. but there is a TV show because I had to watch it for A-level or GCSE history where um, it shows you the Pilgrimage of Grace in like a TV show. Yeah, that is the Tudors. It's the Tudors. Yeah. And then Robert Ass comes back and he goes into the church and he's like, guys, I won! And bodies are just thrown on him and he's like, oh shit, yeah, no I like, didn't. No. No! <laughs> this is not what winning looks like, guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that, that is a great TV show. It's not 100% historically accurate, but it's good for entertainment purposes. It's not that historically it's, inaccurate. No, I mean, they've got to have some sort of dramatic licence, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But no, it's good. And uh, Jonathan Rhys Myers plays a blinder as Henry. He, he captures like the nuances of him perfectly. Mm. Plus he's also absolutely gorgeous, which helps. It doesn't help a hot bay playing my bay. Right, I'm just going to leave you stewing for a second there, and I'm going to do the ridiculous step. Hey, step time again. It is. So um, I was looking very carefully, and I found a couple from the Tudor era. And I just to say, I have no idea what this is. No, you don't. Um, It's weird that I'm excited. Well, (laughs) it was between two, so I've gone for the one that's slightly more... Ugh, really? Okay. Um, It's not ridiculous, it's stupid. Okay. Um... In 1552, Mm -hmm. Henry Pert was a gentleman in Welbeck in Nottinghamshire. Okay. And one day he was out shooting his bow, doing a little bit of archery, and uh, he drew his bow back to its full extent, and his plan was to shoot it up in the air. However, the arrow got lodged in the bow. So instead of putting the bow down and looking to see what had happened, he decided to turn the bow around so that the arrow was pointing at his face. Oh dear. Whatever he did unstuck the arrow into his face. He didn't die until the next day, so it was obviously very traumatic and horrible for him. Jeez! But he he shot himself in the head with his own bow. 
Now, I'm going to assume it was a crossbow rather than a longbow, because... You if, it to... was a, if it was a, a, a longbow, it would have been yeah, you, more you can instant, just, yeah. Well, if it was a longbow, you can just loose the string mm-hmm. and like check it out. I mean, it's not often that a, an arrow will get stuck in a longbow. In a crossbow, however, it did happen, because you had the bolts, and that mm-hmm. means that it would have gone very quickly, at great velocity, into his face. And it took him 24 hours to die... What a plank. <laughs> Word to the wise, if your crossbow sticks, put it down, do not look at it. Seriously, do not point the business oh. end of a weapon at your own face. <laughs> it's not rocket science, people. <laughs> oh, man. Um, I can't oh. believe people have to actually be told this. Again, why are we not extinct? I... And on that bolt shell... Hey! Hey! Um, oh. <laughs> We're going to deafen you a few times today, sorry. Um, yeah, uh, we'll be back next week. Yes. So thank you for listening to Tarvis After Hours, and we shall speak to you next Tuesday. See ya!